What a privilege to be together this morning. <clears throat> Good to see all of you here again. Thanks for worshiping with us. This morning, as we gather together to worship and to remember and to celebrate, I want to draw our attention to three things, three realities that are available to the Christian because of Christmas. Oftentimes, we tend to think about things in one way. So you remember, well, this is what Christmas means, or this is what such and such means. But there are so many implications to the good news of Jesus Christ, and that's what I want to show you this morning. We're going to look at Titus chapter 2. But before we get there, I want to remind you that as Christians, if you belong to Jesus, if you have placed your hope and trust in Him, we have the only reason to be happy and joyful at Christmas time. The world has all kinds of worldly reasons. If you just look at advertising this time of year, it's nauseating because the whole message is that you are so important that you deserve all of these things. If you really want to be happy, you should have a new phone. You should have a new necklace, a new car. This cracks me up. You've seen these commercials where the husband you know, puts his, his hand over the wife and he walks her out outside and there's a brand new car with a bow on it. Like, who's buying cars for people? <clears throat> but my point is, that is the mentality of the world. In order to be happy, you need to get, get, get. How contrary to the Christian life where what we do and what Christ did is give in order to be truly happy and joyful in Him. And I just, I get frustrated at that kind of stuff, but it's why we need to constantly remind ourselves that the teaching of the Bible tells us the true meaning, not only of Christmas, but of joy and peace and happiness that all come because of Jesus Christ. Now, when Jesus came the first time, which is what we are celebrating this morning, this is the first advent of Jesus, Many things happened. There are so many ripple effects going out from the birth of Jesus. I just want to mention a few and then mention what I think is one of the most important. When Jesus came, Matthew 1 tells us that his very name means that he will save us from our sins. Right? He came that we would know the Father in John 14. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He came so that we could be reconciled to God and to one another. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us how we are reconciled to God, which is by grace through faith. And then the second half of the chapter tells how we are reconciled to one another because of what Christ did. Jesus came, according to 1 John 3, to destroy the works of the devil. And on and on the list could go. But I think there is one benefit, one blessing that we receive, that I would put towards the top of that list, and that is the blessing of hope. You see, what happened in the past, what we celebrate at Christmas, the coming of Jesus, has eternal ramifications. And right now, as we live between the two advents of Jesus, Jesus came in the past, but he is coming again. And as we live in this middle period, it is hope in Christ that will sustain us, that will give us perseverance, 
that will enable us to live a life pleasing to God. And that's what we're going to see in our text this morning. So I invite you to open your Bible to Titus chapter 2. This is towards the end of the New Testament. Titus chapter 2 and follow along. I'm going to read verses 11 to 14. So Titus 2, 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Let's pray as we begin this morning. Father in heaven, we need your help now. As we look at your word, we do not want to just read this as any book because it is unlike any other book. It is the very words of God. So as we learn together, as we are encouraged and challenged together, God, would you come by your spirit and work into our hearts the true reality of this season. It is not about us. It is not about our temporary happiness or just getting the next thing. It is about eternal happiness that is only available to us through the Lord Jesus. So God, come. Do a work here that I cannot do, but only you can do through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, when the Apostle Paul says right away in verse 11 that the grace of God has appeared, he is referring to the coming of the Lord Jesus, what we celebrate here at Christmas time. So grace is personified. You know what that means? It just means that it is associated with a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. So when he says the grace of God has appeared, that is the Lord Jesus. And the effect of this appearing of the grace of God is what? Look at verse 12, that the people of God, those who repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in Jesus, would renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Now hang on, stop right there. What if all the Bible said was, well, here's what's not to do. Jesus came so you wouldn't do those things. Well, that's half of it, right? And that's an important half. But also it tells us what ought to be done. So you renounce worldly passions, ungodliness, but you should live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. Now notice that the grace of God is what teaches us. You look right away in verse 11. The grace of God appeared bringing salvation, training us, teaching us to do these things. So what I want you to see is that it is Jesus It is his word, it is his works, it is his spirit that teaches the believer how to live a life that is pleasing to God. Now, in the present age, that's where we live. We don't live 2,000 years ago, we don't live in the future, we are here. That's the most obvious statement you're going to hear all day. But the truth is that God has equipped his people through this coming of the grace of God, namely Jesus, so that we have the tools, we have the ability. And this grace working through Christ, through his ministry, through his word, is what equips us. What a blessing for us as the people of God. Now, speaking of the present age, 
you will notice in Titus 2 that as Christians, I mentioned this a moment ago, we live between the two comings of Jesus. We sang about this this morning several times, and that was no accident. That we celebrate the first coming of the Lord, Christmas, but there is also a second coming of Christ. And all the instruction in the Bible, all the encouragement, all the warnings and admonitions is meant to equip us to live between these two magnificent events in human history. And that is where we live. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is coming again. And this is what we're going to get to when we talk about past, present, and future realities. But his second coming will not be like the first. It will not be in humility. It will not be quiet. Let me read you one passage. This is Hebrews chapter 9. And this talks a little bit more about the coming of Christ. It says this, Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You notice some similarities between that and our Titus text? Jesus is coming. And he is coming for those who are waiting for him. So let's look at what that means. He is coming back, but Paul envisions the church in the meantime waiting eagerly. Not sitting on our hands. Look at verse 13. We are waiting for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who will sit on their hands until he comes. Nope. That's not what it says. If your Bible says that, you need a new Bible. The point of this is that we are to be engaged with kingdom work until he comes. The knowledge that Jesus is coming back should not cause you to set up a camping chair, kick your feet up, and wait. That's folly, and the Bible knows nothing of that kind of living. The Bible rather tells us that Christ is coming, and he redeemed a people who are, what? Zealous for good works. What are you doing for the kingdom of God? Because in this in-between period, between the first and the second advent of Jesus, we have work to do. Not to earn a position before God. We already have that by the blood of Christ. But there is work to do. And there are blessings to be had because of this faithful obedience to Christ. So, we're going to summarize this. And I'm going to give you all three of these points again. We already saw them, but I want you to get this in your mind. This is the reality of what you are celebrating today. And I want you to know this. So, first, what do we see? The past reality. Look at verse 11 again. For the grace of God has appeared. It's done. He came. Christ has come. And he has appeared and earned for us all of the things we could not earn. I don't know how you exactly look at this, but if we have the mentality as people that we are able to do enough good things so that God will look at us and say, ooh, he did pretty good. I think I'm going I'm to bring him into my kingdom. Or if you think it's a matter of just not doing the bad things, I'm going to stay away from that and maybe God will, will mark me good to go. That's not how it works. Ephesians 2, 8 
You know it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And Paul said, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. So the past reality of Christmas is that Jesus, the grace of God, has come. And as a result of his coming, everyone who puts their faith and trust in him can have eternal life. That is the past reality of this. Now, God doesn't leave us with just past information. He gives us what to do right now. This is the present reality. What does it do for you to know that Jesus came 2,000 years ago? It does this. Verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly desires. I first learned this in the New King James. The New King James says, and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Those are great words and great descriptors. Soberly. Don't walk around the world like you're inebriated and off your game. Pay attention. Be alert. This is what the grace of God does is it equips us to live a life that is pleasing to God. To live righteously, that is to pursue righteousness. You know what God requires of us because we have his word. Go after it. And to renounce ungodliness. There is no association between light and darkness, Jesus says. So live a life of light, empowered by his spirit. Now, we have the past, we have the present. Look at the future. Verse 13, we are waiting. Waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we only think about Christmas in terms of what it does for us right now or what it did in the past, you are missing out. (laughs) You are missing out on the hope. And not, I know the word hope gets used in a bunch of different ways. You know what I prefer is the word confidence. Because as Christians, we don't just have hope like, well, I hope the Gophers win. You can't control that. Well, I hope... My car doesn't run out of gas or whatever. There's there's different kinds of ways to use that word. But in the Christian life, when we say that Jesus purchased for the believer hope, what we mean is that he purchased confidence. Unshakable, blood-bought, cross-inspired confidence. So it is so important to see all three of these pieces. You have to know what Jesus did in the past. You have to know how that affects you right now, what is available to you through the grace of God. And you have to know, brothers and sisters, that in the future, you can have hope, confidence, that when Christ returns or when you meet him, it will not be a day of terror for you, but a day of joy and pleasure and rejoicing because you belong to him. So I don't know how you're headed into this day. For a lot of people, the the holiday season brings up just anxiety and, and hurt and feelings of past neglect and loneliness. And for you, which I know there are people in this room like that, I say, it's not gonna be like this forever. Christ is coming, there is hope. And on the other end of the spectrum, there are people who so idolize this time of year and the, and the family and getting everyone together and everything just right in their home. You know what? This is not all there is. It gets better. <laughs> so the message that I want you to leave here today with is this. 
Christ came. That's what we're celebrating. He did everything you could not do. And if you will confess your sin, God is faithful and just and will forgive your sin and cleanse you from all, all unrighteousness. That is good news. And that is the hope that we have. That is the confidence that we have through faith in Christ. So, as you celebrate today, whatever that looks like for you, remember. Remember what Christ has done, what he's doing now, and what he promised to do when he comes. Before we come to the table now, let's pray together. Father, we are indeed thankful. We are thankful for the hope that we have because of Christ. We are thankful, Lord, because the Bible teaches us there's nothing that we can do to earn a right standing before you but simply receive the gift of salvation. So I pray, Lord, for every heart in the hearing of my voice that you would work by your Spirit and soften us to receive the good news that even though it was so long ago, the sacrifice of Jesus carries with it eternal consequence, and in a good way. (laughs) So Father, by your Spirit, now work in our hearts. Bring us to a place of repentance and humility before you that we would not try to keep working and working and working for it. It's exhausting. But simply receive the gift of salvation. It's available to all who will confess and come to you. So God, thank you. Thank you for the reminder of Titus that your word stands and that your truth is sure and that we can have hope that you'll do what you say you'll do. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.